Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of Authors on a Podcast Talking Books. I'm your host, David Walters. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of speaking with fantasy author Brian Naslin. Uh, Brian was born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland, where he never quite learned to love crab cakes, which, how do you not love crab cakes? I, I, I have to stop right there. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was ostracized from friends and family gatherings for it. I just never, I, I just never really enjoyed them very much. <laughs> We'll get back to that. Okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, as a technology-soaked millennial, his first taste of fantasy wasn't from Tolkien or the other amazing fantasy writers he now loves, but instead from watching his older brother play video games in the basement. After healthy doses of many Final Fantasy games during his formative years, he developed a lifelong obsession with flawed characters lugging swords around in the wilderness. Brian spent his early 20s living in Manhattan and subsisting off ramen and cheap vodka and now lives in Colorado. He still eats ramen, but traded the vodka for craft brewed IPAs. Brian is now a product director for a tech company and first started writing about dragons to escape the crushing boredom of his incredibly long bus commute. When he's not writing, he's usually griping about video games on Twitter, hiking with his dog Lola, or whitewater kayaking in the mountains. The last activity makes his mother very nervous. Blood and Exile is his debut novel and the first in the Dragons of Terror series. But without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Brian Naslin. Hello. I'm happy to be here. Oh, good. Uh, say something else because I'm trying to catch my breath. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. It's funny. You know, I hadn't, um, um, I hadn't heard that bio read aloud ever. Um, you know, there's sort of different ones floating around in the back one. So that was, um, I'd, I'd sort of forgotten some of the things that I put into it. So that was, that was funny to hear after a while. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> I remember... I remember the, the days of vodka in, in New York, not fondly, I, I would say, but I remember that. <laughs> I can imagine. I'm sure it was like the, the really cheap Russian vodka that comes in like the plastic container. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. That sounds like college. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was uh, that was the thing you would do to, to make the uh, the punch bowl. You just get like two or three bottles of that, and mix it with Kool Aid. I remember those days. <laughs> yep, exactly. And I feel like no one, no one really enjoyed that punch. No, no. So it was the thing that you made and the thing that you did. Exactly. So, it yeah. was it was the thing where you didn't really know about alcohol, but you like wanted to fit in with everybody else. And so you're like, let's just yeah. dump a bunch of cheap stuff in here, and we'll just get sloshed, and it won't matter. <laughs> Uh, exactly, and you're young enough to not have the you know catastrophic hangover the next morning. I think like if I did that today, I would just die. I wouldn't yeah, even I know. Wake up the next morning, <laughs> just be fatal. Wake wake up with the with the true man cold, you know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, man, I, it's 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 been a while since I've been able to just like go go at it for a night because I, I just feel like you know I've got so many responsibilities now. <laughs> back yeah, back then, it was like way. I can skip class; it's fine. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, almost. Uh, it's much easier now to, to see where the, the hangover the next day is just not worth it, given all the stuff that you have to do and, and do well. So it's, it's yeah. a lot easier to... Yeah, you get, you really have to plan out your hangover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's strategic now. You know, you got to clear your schedule the next day. got to get ahead. It's like planning a mini vacation, but... Yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. All right, so back to the crab cakes. All right, so I'm not obviously from up north. I'm from Alabama. Uh, I shouldn't really know a whole lot about crab cakes, except that uh, we do have a couple of restaurants around the central area of Alabama, you know, unless I go to the coast to get them. But uh, so I'm a big fan of crab cakes. What is your gripe with them? I feel like and it, it's a huge part of Maryland, you know, both crab cakes in general and then crab feasts were, you know, just pretty ubiquitous in the summertime month. And even like from a from a very early age, I never just really liked the taste of crab specifically. And I feel like 
Maryland crab cakes are like very stuffed with it. It's it's much more crab than cake. And so it was just sort of a, a texture and a taste that I wasn't a big fan of. And even as I've gotten older, I mean, I like them a little bit more now. I mostly like the massive amount of cocktail sauce that I put on them. And so I, that's, that's more kind of masking the, the part of it that I'm, that I'm not big on. But yeah, I, I, I just never got, got a feel for it, I guess, or, or saw what the fuss was about. So yeah, the famous Maryland crab feast things that everyone does were, were never my speed. I would even occasionally I would get like if we're all at a crab feast thing, I would get like a burger or you know, salmon or something else. And that that was very much looked down upon. So I stopped doing that because you'll get thrown out if you do that. If you menu. <laughs> but they say they're like, all right, we'll get you a burger. It'll be a crab burger, but we'll take it, we'll take it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's no way out. Even if you try to get something else, you're going to wind up with, with crab on it. <laughs> oh, oh, you want you want some seared salmon? How about some cramen? It's going to be it's going to be crab on top of salmon. Yes, uh, yes. There's yeah, a military in Maryland. Yeah, I, I, you know, maybe the reason I like it is because it's probably more cake than than crab down here. Uh, I feel like we've kind of reversed it, so we're we're more because. You know, we're big on like bread and everything. So, you know, or breading, I guess. So you got your fried chicken with breading, you know, <laughs> your shrimp. Oh, do you want it fried? Yeah, breading. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. But see, I, I have to have mine like caked in aioli, which mm-hmm. uh, it, which I'm kind of like you. I, I'm not I'm not big on cocktail or tartar sauce. I mean, it, it really has to be like a good day for me to have some. But yeah, like I would just I would just like slather it. I'm, I'm a big condiments kind of guy. So. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Well, yeah, maybe I would like uh, would like those kind of crab cakes a little bit more. But yeah, Maryland is basically a huge lump of crab with like a little bit of cake around it. <laughs> I would thought you meant Maryland in general. <laughs> <laughs> Maryland itself is just a giant lump of crab. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's a not a not an inaccurate assessment. There you go. <laughs> um, so so tell me, I guess, a little about yourself about growing up uh, in Maryland. Um, Nix the crab cakes since we've already talked about that unless you just want to bring it back up uh and then uh, i guess like going through school uh any hobbies you had outside of school i guess even up throughout college sure yeah um you know i think growing up my childhood was um pretty pretty normal overall yeah i was you know i was born and raised in baltimore and lived there until i um until i went to college and you know i did i did a lot of schoolwork. i was a fairly diligent student although i will say that i would gun for exactly as much work as I thought I needed to put in to get an A minus and then I would stop. And I, I hit the mark most of the time, but there were some misses, especially with math classes. Um, but, you know, overall a decent amount of time just working on school. And then in terms of my free time, it was really split pretty evenly between two two activities that seem really different, but they actually kind of combined for me. The first one was playing baseball. Um, I played baseball pretty competitively in middle school, high school, and college for a bit. And it's interesting because, you know, baseball, like many sports, if you're going to get competitive with it, you wind up playing just an awful lot of it. So for baseball in season, we played seven games a week. You'd do a doubleheader on Saturday and Sunday and some midweek games. And then you'd have fall ball and, and winter workouts. It becomes this very, you know, kind of all encompassing thing. But the, the interesting for me is that I was a pitcher um, and I made the move very early to only pitching because I was a notoriously terrible fielder and hitter. Um, so really, it's more accurate to say that I spent a lot of my childhood watching other kids my age play baseball. So I only played about a quarter of the games and didn't have a lot of stamina as a pitcher. So I wouldn't I wouldn't you know, I, I didn't do a lot of complete games. So it was, you know, 
whole lot of watching and training and then a little bit of of actually playing and i would say that i i enjoyed the sport and i had fun playing but i wasn't super engrossed in the games that i wasn't playing and watching so i was kind of daydreaming for a lot of it and, and you know my mind would wander and you're just you know you know you're not going to go in so you can kind of have a whole big sort of daydream running around in your head and no one's going to stop you um <laughs> so that was a big chunk of it and then you know basically as soon as i got home from baseball and got my schoolwork done i would start playing video games and um yeah like like i think it was in the bio one of my first memories is like a sentient human was watching my brother play final fantasy six and i remember i was too young to follow along as quickly as he could you know read through all the text and stuff so i would force him to explain to me what was happening and ask him questions about the characters and why they did things that he had no answers for and he'd get all annoyed because i'm asking about like character motivations of you know some pixelated final fantasy six character um and you know yeah yeah I think Final Fantasy VII was the first game I was old enough to play, and I loved that and kind of maxed out all the different things that you could do. But I feel like to, like a big gap of my childhood was spent playing Morrowind, like the Elder Scrolls game that came out around then. And what I would do, I mean, I think that those games don't get thought of as very like rich stories, and I think that that's true and not true, but what they're really good at is giving you a sandbox of stories that you can tell yourself, and you can kind of have this running you know um backstory of your character and even though you're just sort of stabbing at these pixelated blobs that kind of look like goblins you know for me i was always inventing a whole reason that i had to get like revenge um for my fallen comrades or something like that and i got i got really into it and would just kind of be on this loop of making more morrowind characters and then when i was you know playing baseball or watching other people play baseball i kind of just run these like little fantasies in my head on on a big loop to keep myself entertained and, you know, years later, when I started actually writing, I realized that those those two behaviors are not that different. And, and they kind of play into each other. Writing is just kind of taking that little weird loop of a daydream that I was always having and, and, and finishing the thought almost. Um, but, yeah, I'm sure my parents would be like, if looking back, would be horrified to see how much time I spent playing Morrowinds, you know, until I was 17 or 18. But, um, yeah, that's. That, that basically encapsulates my childhood pretty well. Other things happened, but those, those were the big things. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's you know, 17, 18 years of life. Obviously, big things happen. You're just like, yeah, I don't really care about those. <laughs> yeah, like looking back, you know, I learned how to drive and, you know, sort of found, you know, a sense of who I was going to be in the world. But I don't even want to know how many hours I spent playing. You know, if you, if you bucketed, you know, Morrowind Oblivion and Skyrim, and I, I would... I don't track hours played in video games, so I don't know. I don't really want to know, but it, it's significant. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I could attest to it, man. I was I was big on like Warcraft three and the Frozen Throne expansion, so that was hours upon hours daily. Like where I would be sitting at the computer, and my mom would yell out, "All right, dinner's ready to go." I I need like five minutes, and then five minutes goes. I need like ten more minutes. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm literally, I'm almost done. I promise days of that like constantly um yeah and then and then i kind of got into to you know playing like halo and stuff so i play a lot of a lot of online and playing tournaments and stuff like that but yeah it's just Mm -hmm. it's just one of those things that pass time but you also even though you had friends at school you had friends online that you know you just Mm -hmm. interact with and kind of looked forward to interacting with them uh granted they're all they aren't always the best influences but you know (laughs) 
That is true. That is true. And yeah, I, I was lucky in the sense that um, a lot of the people I actually played baseball with, we come home, you know, we're on the same team. And then I think it was Counter-Strike was the big one where there'd be like a bum rush to the computers yeah. to be, you know, first in on the um, on the games that we were playing. So I played a lot of stuff. I think Counter-Strike, World of Warcraft, and then Warcraft 3, we all kind of played as a big group. Not not quite LAN parties, but, you know, the sort of like step step down or step up from those. So I, I had a lot of friends growing up that we were all, we were all kind of into the same stuff, which was nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, like I, I had like a lot of friends like outside of, uh, cause like I was in band in high school. Granted, I also played soccer. So it's, and then I worked. So it's like, I had like a lot of stuff going on, but, <laughs> but like when we, when we would have camp, like we'd have three or four people bring Xboxes and we'd link them all up and play, you know, like Halo into the wee hours of the night until we were like yelled at to go to bed. But you know, so people play, you know, zombies and all kinds of stuff just throughout the throughout the morning and, and so forth. But yeah, I kind of miss those days sometimes. But you know, now like I'm like, man, I'd love to go do that. And I'm like, you know, but I've got to clean up the house. I've got <laughs> I've got I've got to pay taxes. <laughs> it's just like this. So, yeah, yeah. So no, much stuff. Yeah, yeah uh, it's very rare now. I, I'll still play video games, but not nearly as much and, and not nearly as many as I used to, you know, it used to be kind of any game that was out and kind of making the, making the rounds I would play. And now, now it's, um, it's much less frequent for me, which is probably a good thing. Um, you know, my schedule is pretty full anyway. So something, something kind of had to go. Yeah. And, and yeah, the, the deep video gaming was, was sadly one of the casualties. <laughs> of yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, a, I got this office in my new, in my new home and I was able to kind of deck it out how I wanted to. And it brought all my consoles in here and got it all set up and started playing a little bit. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I miss all this so much nostalgia. And then like, every time I think about picking it up, I'm like, gosh, like I've got some shows I got to catch up on. I need to go read these books and I got to go wash dishes. And do I have to go to work tomorrow? Like it's almost nine. I got to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I remember I, um, I bought a switch and you know, I wanted to play the Zelda game and I, I played a ton of it. I was, I was about to go on a trip too. And the flight wound up getting really delayed and it was like the best flight delay I've ever had because I was just playing Zelda and having a great time. But I, I'd never picked it up after I got home. I, you know, things came up. I think I had a, a writing deadline I had to hit and, it's still sitting downstairs. It was a great game. I was having a fantastic time. I just, you know, um, just don't don't ever kind of get the the room anymore to go down and play Zelda for you know four hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's like oh, oh, a new game coming out. I'm gonna go grab it, and then it, I download it and don't touch it. And then when I do when I do put it to plan, it's for like thirty minutes, and then I put it down. And two weeks later, I may come back to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's 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 so sad. We need more time of the day. um so in your bio it says that you're a product director for a tech company so have you been doing that since college or did you work some kind of odd and end jobs before you started that yeah it was kind of an interesting path into into tech i was an english major in college um and I, I wound up graduating in 2009, so right as the the Great Recession was heating up, more or less. <laughs> and you know, English majors aren't known for rich career prospects anyway, but I had particularly slim pickings. Um, but I, I had been interning at a literary agency in college a bit, um, so I had some contacts there, and they knew me. And my first real job out of college um, was not not even a full time job. I was kind of a floating assistant. So if an assistant was sick or was you know going to go on vacation, I would fill in for them at the agency. And 
answer phones and, and read submissions and stuff like that. But it wound up making me uniquely qualified for um, something that a tech company wanted. It was a, a startup out of New York, and they were planning on making kind of a digitized flow for how to submit to to agents. Um, and you could, you know, see a bunch of different agents and align with, you know, their preferences and kind of get some some help with your query letter and that kind of thing. And so I I, I knew all the stuff that they wanted to um, to hear about. So they kind of took me in for this one off. Um, consultation session, I guess you could call it. And I really enjoyed it because they would ask me tons of questions and follow-ups and I could kind of see um, the person who has like my role now, the product director was um, trying to craft the product around what people wanted and needed. And um, software engineers were asking lots of questions too. So it was cool, but for them, it was supposed to just be a one-off or like, you know, we'll pay this kid a couple bucks and get some information and then he'll disappear from our lives. But I didn't have a whole lot going for me at the time and I had to make rent one way or another. So I just stuck around and, and asked people for help. And I kind of the next day just showed up again, even though I, I knew that they didn't expect me to come back and was just like, yeah, I thought I could help out. You know, this was interesting. What are you guys up to? And sort of picked away at it and and you know people it's a, it was a little company so they were kind of overwhelmed and were willing to throw kind of you know scut work activities at me and then um, eventually they took me on full time as a kind of a marketing content person and i would you know write with their blog and and do some stuff with display ads which i didn't particularly care for but um the tech world in general i thought was very interesting um and then i learned very quickly that the startup world is very volatile so that that company wound up you know, not getting a second round of funding and caving, which I didn't realize happens. You know, I was I was pretty young and green, and and the um, the people I was working with were like, "Yeah, you need to start looking for a different job. We didn't get our funding. This is this is all going to go away, and we're going to be laid off if you don't find kind of a um, you know a flotation device, as it were." Um, and I got lucky because one of my bosses at the time knew someone who was doing another startup in Colorado. And I wasn't a huge fan of living in Manhattan in general. Um, so I was looking to kind of get out of there anyway. And so I got connected with her and her company. And you know, basically since then, I've been like leapfrogging different companies for about 10 years and slowly moving out of the marketing roles into more of a, a technical role. So right now I can't write a line of code, can't work Photoshop, but I work with people who can write great code and, and are, are great designers to make um you know, new features for websites and we do some mobile apps as well. And it's a very analytical job too. I'll often, you know, kind of manage the creation of this stuff and then look at whether people like it or don't like it and, you know, kind of use a bunch of data things to inform um, inform what we do next. So lots of spreadsheets, lots of graphs, lots of jargon buzzwords that kind of give me a headache when I realize what's coming out of my mouth as I'm, you know, kind of reporting back on stuff, lots of ROI and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, but as boring as that may sound, I, 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 it's a pretty interesting job to me. I, I like it quite a bit. Um, so, so yeah, that's kind of my, my day gig as it were. So you literally were at this job and they were like, all right, we don't need you anymore. And you came back just going, please, sir, may I have some more? <laughs> Yeah, I think, as I recall, you know, on the way out, someone had mentioned they had to do something that they didn't want to do the next day, like the marketing manager. And I didn't say anything at the time. I just came back the next day and asked her if she wanted help with it. And I could tell that it, it was weird that I came back and they didn't expect that. And, you know, it probably wasn't that much of a pain in the ass task. But she was like, yeah, since you're here, yeah, here's this massive spreadsheet. Take five hours updating it. And like, I, I don't want to do it. Yeah, I'll, I'll pay you instead. Um, <laughs> 
So, so let that be a lesson to all you millennials who are looking for a job. If you if you have a one-off thing and you hear somebody say, gosh, I really don't want to do this, show up the next day and tell them you'll do it. <laughs> they may not yeah, pay you, like, but you can do it. Yeah, it can work. And at the time, things were getting pretty lean. You know, there, there were some, um, some, so, so, some big doubts over whether I was going to be able to make rent in Manhattan at that time. So the the desperation is the key to, you know, I'm a pretty shy, socially anxious person, I would say, who would, who would never have done something like that if it wasn't like, I just, I, I need more money this month or, you know, I'm going to have to figure something out. So that's what I did. Right. When when life gets very top Romney, you need to (laughs) find find a, find a crack to, to get into and be like, all right, Somebody give me something. I'll deliver mail. Somebody. <laughs> I was just yeah. watching. I was just watching the episode of Always Sunny yesterday when uh, Mac and Charlie uh, work in a mailroom <laughs> for uh, for this corporation, and like that, I could just imagine that you know, just like being being in the in the depths of it, trying to work your way up the corporate the corporate chain, I guess. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. It's funny. I, I I haven't seen that much of It's Always Sunny. I've loved every episode that I've watched, but for whatever reason, I've never just like sat down and burned through them. I, I think it's hilarious. If, but, um, if you I have don't Hulu, just, just, just burn through them. Okay. They're, they're quick, you know, like 20, 25 minute episodes. I, I literally, when, like when I, when I start working in the morning, cause I work remote, uh, you know, before the day actually begins, I'll just, pop it on. I'll get through like two or three episodes and, and go out. But it's one of those things that kind of drowns everything else out, but it's also hilarious. So, you know, ho- hopefully I'm not like shooting coffee out my nose, like at my laptop, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a nice little way when you're trying to pass some time, trying to get some work done. So. Yeah. Yeah. I should try. Cause I, I work from home and I'll usually turn something on on my lunch break just to get kind of a little bit of space. And I have this, like, I think at this point you could call it a bad habit of just rewatching the wire in 20 minute increments. Um, <laughs> and I just, I just go on a loop because I, I watch it so slowly that it's just sort of like the thing I put on at lunch, but I should just, if I just start with a different show that's new, I think my, my lunchtime little, little TV sessions will be enriched. So maybe I should try that. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I try to, I try to carve out time like every morning, uh, like after my wife leaves for work. So I usually have about an hour, hour and a half to either do all the work I can do, get the dogs like fed and out and back in and get ready myself and make my lunch and so forth. And I'm like, all right, so, so it's Monday. So the outsider came on last night and curb your enthusiasm. So I got to pick which one I want to start. And then, <laughs> you know, then on Tuesday, I'm like, well, better call Saul came on Monday. So I gotta watch that. <laughs> so I just have like this, this like running list of shows that like I watch on a daily basis. Cause I don't have time over the weekend to just binge it all, which, yeah, which is weird. Cause you think the weekend would be time to catch up, but no, we're, we're <laughs> never at home on weekends. <laughs> Uh, gotcha. Yeah, I, I keep telling my wife, I was like, you know, we built we built this nice house to to live in and enjoy, and yet we always find something to keep us out of it. <laughs> uh, like, what, what kind of stuff do you typically do on the weekend? Uh, so she, on top of being a first grade teacher, also teaches dance. So three of the weekends in the past month have been dance competitions. So mm-hmm. that's taken up plenty of time. Um, which I've been able to read during those. So it's like take the good with the bad. Um, yeah. and then, uh, used to, it was, uh, it was weddings cause all, all of her friends were getting married cause, uh, none of my friends really got married. They all kind of stayed single and then they kind of mm-hmm. like, they, they got like 
you know, like courtroom married <laughs> and then had <laughs> kids. And so just, it was like all, Oh, and they all like moved away. So we never really stayed too much in touch, but all of her friends, of course, stayed in this little bubble. And so we hang out with them now. So, and their kids. Um, gotcha. Yeah. I mean, it's just a bunch of things, you know, lately it's been going out and looking for stuff for the baby coming in June and, it's just, it's always something. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah! Congrats, because that's that's going to be your first, right? Yeah, that'll be our first. Yeah, it's uh, uh-huh. it's uh, it's, it's exciting and nerve wracking, and uh, we're anxiously awaiting and tired of waiting. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's one of those things. Really. Where, like, gosh, we're like five months in. It's like, can this like speed up a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> And I know she's because she's like already ready for the school year to be over because she's like, all right, I can't I can't do these with these kids anymore, especially being pregnant. She's like, I just can't can't do it all day. <laughs> yeah, that, so. that I, can, I can see that perspective. Yeah, yeah bring, very true. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, when it's when when we do have weekends or there's nothing going on man, we're both couch potatoes all day. So that's that's nice. But. Yeah, usually it's you work five days a week and then it's go, go, go on the weekends and back to it. So, gotcha. um, so uh, back to back to you. Um, who? So I know you said like kind of video games were your, I guess, kind of like first love into getting into fantasy. But who would you say, I guess, influenced you the most as far as writers, like getting you into actually writing fantasy? Yeah, it's interesting because I... I read some fantasy as a kid. You know, I read Lord of the Rings when it came, when the movies came out is, is when I read it because that was, you know, um, um, you know, kind of my first introduction to it. I, I had been aware of it, but but when the movies came out is when I, I sat down to read the books. And I liked them, but that didn't really pull me down a fantasy hole quite so much. So when I was when I was younger, I really liked Michael Crichton. Although I will say, I, it's sort of fancy. It's sort of not. Uh, Bernard uh, Cornwell, his yeah. books I read and loved as a kid, especially the ones that are the um, the Arthurian kind of series. I can't remember exactly what it's called. I think that it's going to be made into a show. I might not be right about that, but I, I thought I saw that. So I really loved his books, and I liked the kind of detail and, and the way that he was dealing with these sort of magical things in a very kind of low key, um, low key way. But then I got sucked into um, the, the English major hole uh, for, for, uh, for lack of a better description where I was reading like, you know, Hemingway and Faulkner and kind of the, the literary people of the world. And I liked all those. And I, and I spent, you know, a lot of high school and college reading that kind of stuff. Um, and I didn't get into fantasy again until, um, or I guess for the first time you could say until after I got out of college and I had an interesting way into it too. So I, um, when I graduated, David Benioff, he's a novelist too, um, you know, before Game of Thrones and stuff happened. And I had really enjoyed one of his novels, which is called the city of thieves. And it's realistic. It's about the siege of, um, of Stalingrad, I think. And I remember liking that and looking on his Wikipedia page to see like what else he had done. And, and sort of by that point, I had this vague idea that I might want to write fantasy without having read too much modern fantasy at the time. I just, I like dragons. I liked, you know, daydreaming about, about fantasy stuff. So on his Wikipedia page, I saw that he was going to be the showrunner for this thing called game of Thrones. And it was, it was a while before the show actually came out, but I was like, all right, I mean, he was a good writer. So if he's going to do this, I'll, I'll check out this game of Thrones thing. So the first like big adult fantasy that I looked at with like some serious regard was um, 
was the A Song of Ice and Fire series. And I remember reading it and within like 50 or 100 pages, realizing just how good adult fantasy could be and how, you know, I, I, I love those books, especially, um, you know, the first, the first one, the first three or so, you know, I really, I reread Game of Thrones every year, at least one, sometimes more than that. I just think that they're the, the world and the characters are fantastically done. So I think that's when I got the full kind of hook and pull into fantasy. It was definitely the gateway drug for me. And then directly after that, you only have to Google what to read after a song of ice and fire a little bit to find Joe Abercrombie and Scott Lynch. And so they were, kind of even further along of like, oh man, this is just awesome what these guys are doing. And, you know, all the different, the characters and just the sarcastic, witty banter and this like um, very kind of gritty detailed world, you know, kind of the, the grimdark world was sort of opened up to me through, through Jarber Crombie. And I don't know if you call Scott Lynch grimdark, but you know, I think he's, he's adjacent to it at least and, and doing a lot of similar things. So I think I'd read all three of everything that was available from those, those three authors I'd read, right as I was starting um, to seriously, to seriously try to make headway on blood of an exile. So they're definitely my three, my three biggest influences, especially as I was kind of establishing like a voice and a tone and, and what I was after. I got you. So yeah. So the series by Cornwall, you were talking about, it's called the warlord chronicles. And yeah, it looks like epics is uh, going to be picking that up for TV. So that's pretty neat. I like gotcha. uh, I like uh, his Last Kingdom series that they adapted to. Uh, well, it was originally BBC, but on Netflix. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to watch it, but it's really good. I, I haven't actually, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll check it out because I feel like it's been years and years since I read the the Warlord Chronicle series, but I might I, I have them still. So you know, maybe I'll reread those at some point and I'll get on a um, get on a kick and, and check it all out. Yeah, get on get on the Last Kingdom bandwagon and be a big fan of Uhtred of Bebenburg. <laughs> that sounds badass yeah, yeah right <laughs> well he says it enough so it'll be ingrained in your mind <laughs> <laughs> so uh as far as writing where do you typically find yourself writing I, I guess do you write a lot at home or do you have to be out and about uh to kind of get the juices flowing yeah it's definitely changed over time i mean i wrote i'd say 98 percent of blood of an exile on the bus ride into work and the, the, the public transportation system in Colorado is really good. So it's, it's a pretty nice bus. It's like a sort of a coach type bus and you can kind of spread out and there's um, a decent amount of room, especially, you know, when I was riding the commuter bus. So the, I, I felt that to be really helpful early on because there was just structure around it. Even if it was not a ton of writing time, it was just consistent, you know, every day and I work on it um, and really probably in retrospect, only write two or 300 words sometimes, but I didn't have an agenda for that one, so I, I could kind of meander. And then now, and as I was doing edits on Blood of an Exile and working on Sorcery of a Queen sequel, it's changed. I don't have that job anymore, so I work from home now. And I basically do the bulk of my writing. Um, I kind of do two shifts each day. So I write first thing in the morning, and that's just in a quiet office, you know, oftentimes before the sun's come up, just siphoning down coffee and kind of having the high focus, high um um, not, not quite intensity, but just, you know, it's just me in the book and I'll, I'll play some music or whatever in the background. But then I will, um, in the afternoon when I get finished with my day job, I'll typically head to a, it's actually a sports bar that's pretty loud and has TVs blaring, but I find it helpful. Like it, it almost focuses me, even though there are so many distractions and it's like a different kind of writing. I'll usually have a, you know, pretty strong beer and it's more like, um, 
just letting it be good or bad or whatever, not caring a ton about um, the direction of it and that kind of thing. So a little bit more, just get, get more words out, kind of push the plot forward, that kind of thing. So I, I sort of mix and match and I will still sometimes if I feel stuck, like on the weekends, um, I'll just get on a bus to nowhere or to, to a town, but to, to nowhere that I need to go and ride on the bus and I'll get lunch or whatever. And then I'll ride on the way back. So that, that kind of movement, I feel like is nice. It, it forces me to focus on it. And when I'm going to daydream, I just stare out the window for a little bit and then, and then go back to whatever I was doing. Interesting. I would have, I would have more think that that would be for like thriller writers. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, because or you, you know, you could write the the guy on the bus, you know, instead of the girl on the train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially uh, if you're going to travel funny. just random uh, places. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I remember, you know, the 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 deal went through so much way after I was not doing that bus commute anymore. But it was kind of the same twenty or thirty people every day, and they all kind of you know, not all of them, but eventually they'd sit next to me and see what I was doing. I tell them what I was working on and I'll be like, you know, best of luck. So if any of those people are out there by some miracle, um, I, I finished. <laughs> <laughs> I did a book deal. <laughs> yeah. Hey, they might be, you never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you never know. Oh man. Uh, so uh, tell me a little bit about your writing process uh, or do you, especially for, I guess your first two books, did you, did you have to plot them uh, both out or did you plot out the first one and kind of know what direction you were going to go in the second and third, or did you just write by the seat of your pants for both? Yeah, that's, that's interesting too. And I, I kind of, it's, I'd say my writing process is still evolving, but if, if I had to give my writing process like a D and D alignment, I would call it chaotic evil. Um, Cause it's, kind of all over the place and it's caused me great emotional pain over the years. <laughs> um, so I'm definitely, I aspire to be a plotter. Although with the first one, I had no, no real like outline and no real, I had, I had a very vague plan, but I was basically just letting whatever I wanted to write that day occur. Even if it was breaking the plot and I knew I was going to have to delete it. I, I was just kind of meandering around and having fun with it. But then when it came time to like, when the draft was finished, even before I was going to submit it to agents or think about it, I had like a year of rewriting and editing that I had to do because it was just so, I don't just parts of it just, just weren't working. It was kind of all over the place, but I kind of like the rewriting side of things. And I'm, I'm a pretty firm believer that my first idea is never the best idea. And even my second, third and fourth ideas are not necessarily, um, that fantastic so i like kind of forcing myself to to do it over and over again it's a a bit more time consuming i suppose if you can make like really awesome outlines but um i think my first shot at, at outlining was with the second one and you know i, I had a plan for what was going to happen there but it was very loose and i just think i'm a crappy outliner to be honest like i just don't think i outline interesting things i'll I'll move characters from point A to point B and something will happen to them along the way. But it's just um, for me to get like the creative juices or the interesting ideas going, I kind of just have to sit down and write the scene. And oftentimes I have to write 90% of the scene and be like, Oh no, let's go back and do it this way. And this is way better. And so there's just sort of like built in, built in rewriting in a lot of ways. But one thing that I saw, so you know, I, I had an outline for, um, Sorcerer of the Queen, but if you looked at that and then looked at the um, the manuscript that's, that's basically done at this point, it's it's probably going to go into um, 
first pass stages pretty soon. They don't resemble each other very much at all. I, I basically kind of um, did some pretty pretty heavy rewriting uh, last summer, which was hard at times, but but I, I really enjoyed it. I think I, I got to a place that I'm really happy with. And the only thing I'm doing differently with the third one, again, you know, I, and I'm pretty far through. I basically have a working draft, and I did an outline that I once again abandoned almost like, uh, right out of the gate. Um, I'm writing it out of order. So with the first two, I kind of wrote them chronologically, and I would, I would do like, you know, so my books have multiple character perspectives. Um, and I would do all of one character and then go back and do all of a second character and all of a third character. Um, for this one, I'm jumping around more. I kind of grab some chapters in the beginning, then move to the middle and, and some scenes that I know were pivotal. And then I move to the end. So the ending of book three is now by far the most like fleshed out um, than the beginning and the, and the middle. And I'm kind of now going back and I, it's a little bit too soon to tell. I, I sort of like that. And it's definitely saved me at least a few like scenes that would have just gotten torn apart because I, I came up with a lot of ideas towards the end, but we'll see. I've kind of resigned myself to, to letting my writing process be not super efficient, but I, I really like the end products. And then when I talk to other writers who write these fantastic outlines over the course of like two months. And then they're kind of just like taking, you know, almost dictation notes from themselves each day. And they're, you know, they do a, a quick, uh, a quick pass and some copy and they're good to go. I, I envy them and hate them a little bit, but um, my, my process is my process for, for better or worse. Exactly. I mean, everybody's got their own way of doing things. And, you know, I hear a lot of authors say that, that they already know how it's going to end and now it's just doing everything else. So you kind of, you kind of wrote it in that way is that you know exactly how the book is going to end. And so now it's like, all right, what's going to be the buildup to this? And you know, how am I going to get X amount of pages between the end of book two and, and this climax? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and oftentimes as I'm kind of wrapping up, you know, parts of the ending, something will occur to me. It happened like, like a day ago, actually. I was like, oh, I can do this. Something that I never intended for this character who's kind of here at the end. But if I do that, it's going to reveal a whole side of things that I was having trouble showing in an interesting way. And now I've got this kind of following that's going to get all of that stuff there. And so that it can be nice to, to do the ending first in that regard. So that instead of having, because I would have written him a different plot line that just kind of went nowhere because he's a fun character, but it would have amounted to nothing. So, um, you know, that kind of thing, I think I'm, I'm hopefully getting better at, you know, each book is, is, is hopefully a little bit easier than the one before him. <laughs> I mean, you, you would, you would hope, you would hope, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so speak, so speaking of, uh, of your first book, so, so Blood of an Exile, which is Dragons of Terra book one, uh, came out last year. It was a 2019 Amazon.com best book of the year or one of the best books of the year. And uh, 2019 Kirkus Reviews best books of the year. Um, I absolutely loved it. I know uh, myself and Nils, which I I've just decided I can't do buddy reads anymore. Um, I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm terrible at them. I either read the book way too fast. Uh, I read it way too slow or I never get to it. And so I've decided I'm never doing one again. Um, but in this case, uh, I told Nils, I was like, Hey, let's, let's read it together. And within like, I think a day, maybe a day and a half, I was already done. And she was still like page hundred. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but we both, uh, you know, obviously, obviously gushed around the same time over this one. And, um, 
and are definitely both looking forward to book two as well as I know everybody else that's out there has read it. But for those uh, in the audience that haven't read Blood and Exile, can you give them a little bit of an overview as to what they could expect? Sure, sure. Yeah, I'll give. Um, well, here's my my like lightning elevator pitch, uh, which is that it's just an answer to the question of what if you took the grumpiest version of Wolverine from the comic books and forced him to become a dragon slayer. Um, so that's my super fast elevator pitch. But since it's a podcast and we have more time, I can, I can give a little bit more detail. No, no, that's, that's all you got. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Okay. okay really, really. Uh, no, let's see. So it, um, the, the book takes place in a world that's just chock full of dragons, um, but they're not, mystical or or magical in the common sense of the word they're really i wanted to just treat them like um like animals like these you know vicious apex predators but um beyond that there's there's nothing essentially like magical about them they're not you know talking or giving you riddles for treasure or anything like that um and the way the world is set up there's very um varying levels of technological advancement so some countries have really been able to exterminate the vast majority of their dragon populations. And that comes with certain um, benefits and also some pretty serious drawbacks. And then other countries, really it's the dragons who rule the, the wilderness and humans are just trying to survive. And, you know, every bee farmer has to take his life into his own hands every day going out to work his fields because getting picked up by a dragon is, is not at all uncommon. Um, and another part of the, the culture of this realm, the realm of Terra, is... Um, if you're a criminal, oftentimes rather than being executed or thrown into a dungeon, you'll be branded as an exile and you'll get a pair of tattoos on your face so that people kind of know who you are and you're, you know, you're ostracized from society, but you're also, um, you know, you can't go to capital cities, you can't sleep in a bed or anything like that. And you have to go kill dragons as your, as your primary vocation. And the reason they do that is because nobody really lives long killing dragons in this world. Um, if you, most people die within a week or two the first time they try to kill one. If you kill one or two before you're eventually eaten, that would be considered like a pretty big deal. Um, so it's kind of a death sentence that's, you know, um, moved off into the, you know, you kind of leave it in the hands of the dragons to, to deal with. But the main character, Silas Rashad, has been um, exiled for kind of a screw up on the battlefield um, a long time ago, but he's been killing dragons for 14 years and killing a lot of them, you know, far more than anyone else has ever managed to do. And you know, the, 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 the ways and reasons in which he, he does that kind of come to light as the story goes on a bit, but it's turned him into this kind of grumpy legendary hero. And like the commoners all know him and kind of revere him as almost like a living God because he's done this incredible thing but he's also very much hated by the nobility and the king who exiled him because they expected him to be dead, you know, 13 years and, and 11 months ago, and he's still alive and kicking and has become very famous. Um, so as the story kicks off, he has you know, been doing this for a long time. He's got a little sidekick friend named Rowan, who's his forsaken shield, who can kind of go along with him to support. And he has a donkey. Each dragon slayer is given a donkey to kind of carry their gear and be kind of a joke of like a support system. You know, instead of getting a horse, you just get a donkey. And he gets unexpectedly called back to the capital, um, which is really uncommon. And the king who exiled him has a job for him. And he's basically given this offer where if he is able to go on this long journey to a foreign emperor empire that's um, you know kind of mysterious and then wrapped in strange technology and both rescue a princess and kill an emperor, then his, his um, sentence will be lifted and he'll be allowed to go free. And... 
the story kind of takes off from there. He's got to assemble a, a bit of a motley crew to, to see if he can get this job done. At the same time, um, Ashlyn Mulgrave, who is the heir apparent to the kingdom, um, is also one of the main characters, and she's got to deal with her own political battles. And then she's also kind of discovered some interesting things about dragons in general. So she, you know, pulls on that thread while Bashad goes on this this uh, this pretty dangerous journey. So there's, you know, lots of uh, lots of wandering around the woods, lots of sword fights, lots of people kind of bullshitting around around campfires, that kind of thing. I gotcha. So uh, just to kind of come back to my enjoyment of the novel, uh, I've, I've pulled up my review from last year that I wrote, uh, and, and, you, and hopefully I don't embarrass you too much because uh, you, <laughs> you might get some red cheeks off this one. Uh, but I said, Blood of an Exile will go down as one of the best fantasy debuts of 2019 along the likes of The Rage of Dragons. Yes, you heard that right. Evan Winters' debut from last year that's done so well. Uh, <laughs> and The Gutter Prayer by Gareth Ryder Hanrahan. I said, it's a, sp- a sprawling epic filled with dragons, dragon slayers, alchemy, and assassins. It is an exemplary beginning to the series, and I cannot wait to see what Naslin has up his sleeves. And obviously, you've got two more books at least up your sleeves. So... Um, but I do have a bone to pick with you. I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick it with you off air though, because people need to read your book and find out why I have this bone to pick. But all I'm going to say is, uh, and Nils will back me up on this, uh, hashtag justice for Alfonso, uh, just, just, just a heads up. And anybody who, who has read the book or will be reading the book and finds out about Alfonso, uh, DM me, uh, and we're going to have a little coalition coalition going on. Uh, getting justice for him because that uh, I'm still very upset with you, and it's been like a year since I wrote it. So, um, well, well, thank you for the review. And yeah, I will. All I'll say is that um, I didn't enjoy that either, and I probably cried harder than you did. <laughs> you probably did. You, you 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 were you were around him a lot longer than I was. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm telling you, I'm going to get T-shirts made. It's going to be like the vote for Pedro, but it's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, if, if you make them, I will buy one, and awesome. I'll, I'll hang it up by my office so I can always, always remember it. As a, you know, mistakes <laughs> of the past. Exactly. So uh, obviously, Sorcery of a Queen. Um, now I don't remember if it was originally slated to come out earlier, but I think the last time I saw it was in August that that one slated to come out. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's always been the plan. So um, August 4th, 2020 in the U.S. and August 6th in the U.K., I believe, okay. um, is when it slipped for. Okay, yeah. and uh, and I know you did a cover reveal for it, uh, for the U.K. cover on Fantasy Hive not too long ago. And I guess we're – I mean, I've, I've seen the cover because I've been on your website, and everybody that's listening to this can go see the, the cover on his website. But I assume that you and Tor will be doing a cover reveal here pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. We'll sort of see what their plans are. The you know the cover's kind of out in the world, um, and you know in terms of, of um, you know what they're going to do, we'll sort of. Um, it's a bit early on their end, I think, to be to be saying that kind of thing. But yeah, I, I love both covers. Um, really, I love you know um, all the covers. You know, I, I I think it's kind of nice because I get to have two different covers in my books. The UK and the US ones are different, but. Right. Um, <laughs> I really enjoy these. I think they're I think they're badass. I think that'd be pretty cool as an author is to be able to like have multiple covers for books and like be able to see them all, you know, like up on a shelf. <laughs> you just be like, yeah, yeah those are yeah. all mine. There's only three of them, but I have six total. <laughs> yeah, it looks like I'm a way more prolific author than I actually. There you am. go. <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody, nobody yeah. has to know. 
<laughs> yeah, and I think because the the foreign rights have been sold in a few places, and that's a uh, you know those will be slower coming along. And I think sometimes you get you get um, you know different covers for those too. So that'll be exciting to see. I, I, I have no idea when that'll be. But, yeah. yeah. Or, yeah, and I know I know some tend to stay the same. Like I think uh, Kings of the Wild from Nicholas Eames, I think it pretty much stayed just mm-hmm. about the same across all uh, languages. But then you've got uh, just for instance, Age or uh, yeah, Age of Assassins by uh, R.J. Barker. That I think it was like the French edition was like completely different than the U.S. And I mean, it's just mm-hmm. absolutely gorgeous. Um, but yeah, it's, it, I think it'd be kind of neat, you know, every, every time a new one comes out, it's a different cover. It's like, it's like you become a collector of your own books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, I can see why the King of the Wild cover said it's there. And that, that cover so awesome. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Richard Anderson is, is phenomenal. So if, if he ends up ever doing a cover for one of your books, I'm sure you'll cherish that moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I love his stuff because he, I, I know a lot of, you can sort of recognize his, his style, but I remember, I think Kings of the Wild, I saw the cover and like, I, I, before I even like lined up, cause I'd heard about it a little bit, you know, there were some murmurings that it was going to be really good, but I think I took like one look at the cover. I was like, I'm buying that. I don't care what it is or who wrote it, but that's, that's coming home with me. So. Yeah. yeah. I think that actually ended up kind of jumpstarting my uh, relationship with orbit. Cause mm. I think that was probably right around the time or maybe right after I actually started the blog. Cause I had been on a couple of different websites prior to that. And uh, I had, had a tiny little relationship with one of their marketing people. And then I got that book and I go, okay, this cover is pretty awesome. It sounds amazing. Let's read it. And then it's been a marriage ever since, you know, so, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, I love Richard Harrison's covers. And I know he's done a, a ton for tour. I think he's done, I mean, I know he's done several like novellas and he does some of the, uh, the little short fiction that they have on the website that you can go read mm. uh, on there and so forth. So, you know, hey, maybe one day, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, who knows? We'll see. <laughs> um, so, so you told us about Blood of the Exile. Um, I guess can you give us a little sneak preview into Sorcery of a Queen? Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's tough without wandering into spoiler territory, yeah. but I can give a little bit. I think. Well, for people who have read it, I think I can do this and 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 not not spoil anything. Um, you'll know that there's um, a, a pretty unexpected new element that gets introduced in the in the last few pages of the book. Mm-hmm. And a lot of book book two in Sorcerer of the Queen is is kind of dealing with the fallout and the implications of that. Every main character has to kind of deal with that in their own way, and it goes. Uh, it's pretty complicated uh, for for a lot of them. So that's one piece. And you know, for people who who haven't read it, I think um, it's it's fair to say that you know if you like that kind of you know grim dark fantasy with lots of you know journeys through difficult wilderness places and, and, you know, people kind of having a lot of, uh, um, you know, ribbing of each other by campfires. There's, there's a whole lot of that in the, in the second book too. So if you like those aspects of blood of the exile, there's a whole lot more where that came from. And then I think this will be like too, maybe too vague, but I, I thought it was really cool. One of my favorite parts of writing the second one. So with, uh, with blood of an exile, I was really, I wanted to delve into the kind of macro level relationship that dragons have with their environments. And, you know, I did a lot of stuff with how they're, they're apex predators and keystone species. So if they're not present in a certain ecosystem, um, all of a sudden that ecosystem starts to kind of fall apart. So kind of this, this high level stuff of their role. And with the second one, you know, that, that's still a very big part of it, but I also wanted to explore kind of a more micro intimate relationship between dragons and men. And then that was really fun to do. I think my favorite scenes um, from, 
from Sorcery River Queen are, are, are those ones that I got to write. And it was a bit different from what I did in the first one. So that was, that was really fun. I gotcha. Yeah, I know. Uh, and, and I guess does your focus, I guess in the, the second book, does it turn not necessarily away from Rashad, but does it kind of focus on one of the other characters from book one a little bit more? I would actually say it's pretty balanced in the same way that the blood of an exile was balanced. Um, you know, maybe some people who had like background roles become a little bit more prominent, but the, yeah, Bershad's still a huge part of it. There's, there's lots of him. And I think, you know, I, I don't think I ever did this like a, a breakdown of like, for um, like POV, like who gets the, the lion's share, but I think Bershad still gets most of them and, and he's a huge part of the story. Um, I think it's more that, you know, other people who were, you really didn't see that much of become, become main characters. Okay. Um, and I guess, uh, is it pretty safe to say that currently you're working on book three? I mean, obviously you're finishing everything up for book two's release, but would, uh, I guess book three be your lion's share of what you're doing now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think I'll, I'll probably read Sorcery of Queen over one or two more times, but it'll be pretty low level edits, you know, like word changes, trying to clean up like little inconsistencies, but it, it's essentially, you know, off my plate in terms of the lion's share of the work. So yeah, I'm working on book three with a purpose and that I basically have a working draft of it. Um, and like I was saying, the ending was really um, pretty well fleshed out, which I, I finished a couple weeks ago. And um, I think I tweeted about this. I started like kind of unexpectedly crying in a very public place when I finished it, not because it was, well, I, I won't say whether the ending is, is happy or sad or whatever, but it didn't have anything to do with the content. It was just like actually getting to the end of this thing that I've been working on for like 10 years right. uh, was like surprisingly emotional. And like a waiter had to come over and ask if I was okay. Cause I, like, <laughs> I couldn't stop either. I was like, yeah, great. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's, there's a working draft, but kind of like I said, you know, I, that's not like the end of my process. So I've got, you know, um, some more months ahead of me, at least working on a book three. Yeah, so you're just like sitting there crying at a table and it's like, can I get you a thing? You're like, more breadsticks, please. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And like, look away from me. <laughs> can you please go away? I need to stay in my corner. I, like, I didn't think this would happen. Otherwise, I would have just stayed at home and done this here in a private place. But now I'm in this crowded bar and everyone's looking at me. <laughs> It's like, you came in? Like, did, did, did your girlfriend break up me? Like, what's going on? Like, do, <laughs> do we need to drown all this together? Yeah, like, I'm always hunched over my computer with headphones on. I feel like they thought that I'd, like, yeah, gotten news that, like, a loved one had died or something like that, or I'd been dumped. Like, that was the, like, emotional level of my reaction. Yeah. I, I didn't tell them either. It's like, I just, like, I, I'm having a weird thing. Just leave me alone. I don't want to tell them that I was, like, you know, crying about a book that I was writing. <laughs> did somebody at least <laughs> offer to buy you a drink? <laughs> You know, I feel like nobody did, which oh, is which really is disappointing. Sad. I, mean, like, I would at least like gotten you a beer. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, give me something. I'm going through a hard time of some kind here. Yeah, Full-girl <laughs> man crying in a bar. I mean, get him something. <laughs> yeah. you, you either get you a drink or you 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 politely escort you out because you're bringing everybody down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but the mood of the bar was 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 definitely lowered by me that day. <laughs> So, so uh, you mentioned going to a sports bar. So, I, I guess have you have you become an Avalanche fan since you moved to Colorado? You know, it's funny. I I'm not a big sports fan, um, and the fact that I go to that sports bar is almost because of that. So, when I like need to zone out and take a break, it it almost helps to look at a sport where I have like no stake in the game and no like sense of of 
of what's even happening. So I'll, I'll sit and, you know, watch a game and someone, sometimes people will come over and ask like what the score is. They just sat down. I'm like, I don't even know who's playing. I've been like staring at the screen off and on, but like doesn't even register. Um, I am excited for baseball season because that's the one sport that I understand really well. And it's also one, you know, kind of just looking up and watching a pitcher work through a hitter. Um, I can at least, even if I don't know the score, I, you know, I have a much better sense of what they're doing and what they're after. So I, I like baseball season despite not following any teams with any kind of, you know, consistency or anything like that. I was going to say, it, it must be pretty difficult watching uh, a Colorado Rockies pitcher pitch, especially at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because I'm a big baseball fan. I do fantasy baseball and so forth. But, like, there's about two players on the Rockies that I would ever draft, and that'd be Arenado and Story, and that's it. <laughs> there, there is not a single pitcher that I'll even pick up if I need one extra start that week. I'm like, you know, I'm not even going to – not going to try it. I pick, it, yeah, I pick up Gray because he can throw like 98, but if, if he's throwing mm-hmm. 98 right down the plate, then I'm done. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the things too. You know, it doesn't really matter how hard you throw. If it's, if it's flat and straight and, you know – not hitting spots, they're always going to just demolish it. So exactly, exactly, yeah, and I, and it's one of those things where like now I kind of look back at childhood and wish I had kept with baseball because uh, mm-hmm. I played for a couple of years. Like I played, you know, like coach pitch and stuff, and then like when it came to kids my age throwing baseballs at me, I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. I don't really think this is for me, guys. And so <laughs> I, know, I went on to basketball and I did that for like two years, and then I played soccer for twelve, and now I'm like gosh, I'm really into baseball and I love baseball and I could get out there and pitch, you know, if I had been doing this for 20 years <laughs> and, you know, actually had some kind of stamina and actually knew how to throw and all that stuff. I was like, I could totally do that. But no, yeah. it was, it was yeah, one of those it, things that was never going to happen. <laughs> no, I agree that people throwing those baseballs at you is incredibly terrifying. I, I couldn't wait to get like the designation of like, oh, you're just pitching now. You're, you no longer have to embarrass yourself on the field and, and in the batter's box, um, so I didn't I didn't do very much of the hitting side of thing at all. But yeah, I remember being I took, I took a lot of walks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like that one time, like I got a, a, a good single and got, or I guess it was a double at that point because the kids were really slow back then. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it turned into a double. But I felt really good. But no, man, my my thing was I either walk or I get uh, hit by pitch, and that was that was my that was my main goal. <laughs> all right, David, yeah. step up there and just just take it. <laughs> No, it makes sense. And I, I remember having, especially in college, having like nightmares the day before a game that someone was going to just hit like a line drive back into my face and kill me, which like wasn't out of the realm of possibility because I'm trying to think if I remember this right. We used metal bats in college. It's, it's like fully grown people, but you know, the, the metal bat can make it go way faster. I, I, it's weird that I can't remember whether that's true or not. It might have been wood bats in no, college. It should, but it, anyway. should be, it should be metal bats in college and then it's wood bats yeah, and, right. and pros. I feel like some. Yeah, sometimes we play wood bats, like there'd be a specific game or a tournament. But anyway, I remember when I when I stopped playing this like wash of relief that I would never have to have that like stress dream ever again. I think at least that's like one like threat of my life that's now over and just being so relieved. (laughs) So uh, have you read anything lately? Uh, Anything that you'd recommend to the audience that you may have happened to have a chance to read? I mean, I know you don't have a ton of downtime uh, when you're not writing or working. But if you just happen to have something that you're like, Oh my gosh, everybody has to read this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
it, it's funny. I, I would say that I read more fantasy in the last year than ever in my life in a year. It's just unfortunately been my own manuscript over and over again for the most part, <laughs> um, as I'm doing my, my brutal editorial phase and, and the top of rereading. But I, I do try to make time to to read and listen to other people's stuff too. I think you know, as a writer, it's really important to um, to be to be just exposing yourself to other things. Um, and I think be, because I, I don't have as much time to read as I used to, some of the stuff that I'm reading is like almost old news, but it, it's new to me and awesome. So um, one of the books that I really loved this year that I got to was Jade City. Um, and it's been out for a while. I think the, the sequel Jade War came out this year, which I own, but, but haven't read. I just read the first one. But I love that magic system. And it was nice. I, I like as a as a kind of reader to, to try some stuff that's, you know, a little bit further afield from um, – from what I'm doing. Um, so I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, another one, this one did come out this year and I think we had the same pub date, so it caught my eye, but it was um, Cry Pilot by uh, Joel Dane. That was, that's military sci-fi, so it's not even fantasy, but I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I dig military sci-fi. I haven't read a ton of it, to be honest. You know, I've read like Starship Troopers and a couple of the other like classics, but um, that one was just, you know, I thought, extremely well done it was like a nice palate cleanser when i was you know spending all this time reading about my own dragons and my own stuff i got to just spend some time in space so that was that was pretty awesome um what else have i gone through i read um peter mclean's series the war for the roses series the the first two um this year and really enjoyed those um he's got just, just like a, a tight grip on characters and plot um and you know i kind of tore through those once i heard about them and then um, I, I've, I've read two, I guess it's, it's out now. I, I read an advanced copy of The Unspoken Name by A.K. Larkwood. And that one I really enjoyed. That one, it, it's funny because, um, you know, Tor sent it to me as kind of an advanced copy to see what I thought of it. And I remember, you know, in a lot of the ways that they described it is like genre bending and, you know, pretty just sort of far field. And I feel like a lot of times books get that. Um, you know, kind of description and, and don't really earn it. But this one definitely does. It was, it's hard to describe how, I don't know, how, how it actually does. It is It does it fit the, the genre bending thing. And it sort of starts in one place that feels pretty comfortable fantasy and just starts expanding out from there. Um, so I really enjoyed that one. And then the one that I enjoyed the most, it feels silly to talk about it because it doesn't come out until 2021. But I'm going to talk about it anyway because it was so awesome. <laughs> uh, it's The Black Tongue Thief by Christopher Buhlman. And that one, where to like begin? I feel like, so I, I read it um, on a plane. Uh, my partner and I were going to a um, like kind of a weekend getaway. We had this really early flight and she was trying to get some sleep and I was reading this book and I kept on like jabbing her awake and like reading her sentence and be like, it's so good. Like, can you believe it? And she was like, I don't care. I'm really tired. <laughs> um, but I think, um, in terms of like reading experience, the last time I've had something like this was probably when I was reading Kings of the Wild, where it's just like joy on every page, just amazing kind of character, not even the development, but just like, you know, making a character come alive in a fantasy world that has this like super rich backstory. It's like recovering from these terrible goblin wars and the main character is like a thief who's indebted um, from the guild that he got his thief training in and is like, you know, wailing people to try to stay above his student loans and student debt um but it was it was just like perfectly done and yeah every page had me having some kind of like really deep emotional response and he and he's so good at balancing this character who's you know the thief who's sort of sarcastic and full of mischief is a fairly you know 
um, established character in fantasy, but this one really felt like he stood out and had, has these moments of really, really pure vulnerability that I, I was kind of taken aback by. So, um, yeah, it's not out for a while, but if you, you know, if anyone follows me on Twitter or is around me at all, they'll be hearing about it when they, when they come closer to getting out. Cause I, I, I love that book. I gotcha. Yeah. I think I remember, uh, seeing, I believe it was Heather Hall, um, had, I guess, released an announcement about it or, I almost want to say that there was like a early cover reveal or something for it. And uh, I started following um, the author on Twitter and had just kind of kept seeing stuff about it. So I'm definitely looking forward to that one. Um, obviously I agree with you on war for the rose throne by McLean cause it's phenomenal. And I, I loved chatting with him on the podcast. He's a, uh, He's he's quite a character. <laughs> so, <laughs> he is, yeah, yeah. I listened to that episode. That was really cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah let, let, let alone you know uh, the characters that he writes, but he he himself is a very interesting guy. But uh, yeah, and uh, I haven't had a chance to read um, Jade City uh, yet, but yeah, I've, I've heard many a great things about it. And uh, and yeah, you're right. Jade War came out. I guess it was like towards the end of last year, and then the new one. I know we just had a cover reveal not too too long ago, so I'm sure it'll mm-hmm. it'll be coming out this year. But yeah, no, I, I I agree with everything you said. But yeah, Black Tongue Thief is definitely pretty high on my list. Whenever they decide to start sending out early copies of that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whenever you get one, I I highly recommend putting it to the top of your list. I think if you uh, yeah, if you know if you like Blood of an Exile, you'll you'll like. One for sure. Okay. Yeah, because right now I uh, just started The Kingdom of Liars by Nick Martell, um, <clears> which is coming out from Saga. I think it's coming out in May. Now I actually he's actually going to come on in April to chat about it. So I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's it's another one of those that kind of kind of gets you in pretty early. And I know one of my co-reviewers just posted a 10 out of 10 review on it. So I'm 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 pretty pretty uh, I have pretty high expectations for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I've had my eye on that one too. Um, so I'm excited to to read that when it comes out. Yeah, I've I've been reading a lot more like thriller horror novels pretty recently. Um, <clears throat> just because like I, some of them I've gotten fairly early, and then some I've just I've kind of held on to, and there's some some of them are fairly short. But I feel like uh, the fantasy stuff is gonna kind of start ramping back up again because. Um, I've still got to get to the unspoken name. Um, I've had it for what seems like forever and it just, it just kind of keeps getting, you know, glossed over for something else. But, uh, you know, I've obviously with, with your recommendation, I've seen several of them out there. Um, but there's just, I feel like there's so much fantasy out there I need to read and I just haven't touched on, but, um, I know John Gwen's, yeah, I know John Gwen's got a, a time of courage coming out in April and, that's uh that's really high on my list to get to and everybody keeps telling me I still need to read the Faithful and the Fallen series, which I haven't, which mm-hmm. kind of leads into this series. So I'm already behind, but I've read the first two. So um, yeah, I'm behind on this stuff too. Um, I've had it recommended to me a lot, and I think I own one or two, but I haven't gotten a chance to read them yet. But I, I'm kind of like you, like I always want to get to it and then there's just so much good stuff coming out i feel like you know 2019 was a huge year for so many different things it's, yes. it's almost impossible to keep up i feel like yeah it, it really is and, and that's why that's why i do a lot of audiobooks but i uh like last week they decided that I, I mean they've been deciding it for a while now but they did like a giant organizational shift in our company across the nation and so mm-hmm. everybody kind of got or not everybody about 70 percent of people got shifted into new jobs and so like the whole last week I was 
training on this new job. But now that I've got it, I don't really have time to listen to books at work anymore. <laughs> and so it's like really cutting into my time, which, you know, it's, it's work. You need to do it. But at the same time, it's like, man, I don't, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to get to all this stuff, but I'm going to, I'm going to push through. That's, that's, that's the plan. I'm going to, it's going to be one of those things where, you know, I may not know every single thing that's going on in it, but I got the gist of the story. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Yeah. That's a, that's a, a low blow to, to get a whole bunch of your, you know, reading or I guess listening time is taken away. So yeah. Like, yeah. You know, and, and I, I try to read as much as I can when I'm at home. And like I said, when we, when we go out and about and if there's a bunch of downtime, I'll, I'll pull the Kindle out, but yeah, majority of it's books because I, I listen to and from work and I listen while I'm at work and uh, I'll do like I'll listen to a book or two while I'm uh, you know doing chores around the house and stuff. So it's it's nice. It's just a little bit of that's going to be taken away. Hopefully it, uh, I'll get to kind of more in a rhythm to where it's not a big a deal. But right now it's still trying to figure everything out, all the little intricacies of the different parts of the job and because a lot of it's like scheduling and making sure the right people know the right things. So it, it, it's one of those like OCD things where you're trying to make sure every single piece is exactly where it's supposed to be. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I don't want to mess up. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so tell me um, what is, I guess, after the dragons of Terra, do you have an idea of what the next thing in line is going to be are you going to stick with fantasy are you going to go in a different direction as far as genre goes or what do you what do you yeah. anticipate it's interesting because for many years now i like haven't even thought about that because i've been so embroiled in you know working on this trilogy and it's really it feels both a little bit far away but it's kind of coming down the pipeline you know the next couple months here i'll turn in book three to my editor and then I'll, and then I'll finally have a gap of like, you know, of what's next kind of thing. And I, I don't really know, although I always have a running list of ideas that I keep in an Evernote folder and there very rarely is the idea like a full novel's worth of a premise. It's just kind of like a semi-random thought I had of something that I, that I thought would be cool. And I feel like there's sort of three buckets. There's ideas that would really kind of need to take place in the realm of Terra and, it wouldn't be, you know, this trilogy is kind of going to conclude all the, the main narrative arcs in one form or another, but, you know, maybe you do something else in that in that arena. And then I've got a big bucket of stuff that's, like, not at all related, couldn't take place in that world. Some stuff that's, like, a little bit sci-fi-y, I think, but but maybe more, like, sci-fantasy type stuff, those ideas. And then I've got a huge bucket of stuff that could take place in either one. And I feel like... Um, I'll do kind of, like, a culling and a mix and match, like, witches through of these different ideas and and kind of see where I want to go. Um, but yeah, it feels like forever since I've you know, let myself think about anything besides besides this series. So I'm kind of looking forward to it, kind of intimidated, because um, you know you sort of just get comfortable with what you're used to. But um, yeah, I feel like I, I have no clear answer now, but come, come, you know, late, late spring, early summer, I'll be working on something new. So I gotta, I gotta figure it out eventually, I guess. Right. <laughs> sounds like, uh, <laughs> sounds like you need to invest in buckets. <laughs> <laughs> you, you need to find some stock in buckets, I guess. Uh, <laughs> well, I, 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 for one, uh, you know, definitely looking forward to what you got coming up next, but obviously the main, the main thing is going to be Sorcerer of Queen that comes out on August 4th. Um, but for everybody that's listening that hasn't taken a chance on the Dragons of Terra, uh, Blood of an Exile is a phenomenal novel. Uh, 
I think you'll love it if you love dragons, if you love fantasy in general, or if you just love badass dragon slaters. Um, it's pretty much going to be right up your alley. Uh, but that came out in 2019. Sorcery for Queen, again, going to be on August 4th. And then do you have a working title for book three? I do not. Um, I have a few vague ideas, but um, they are almost certainly not going to be the, the book three titles. So for now, it's just it's just book three. <laughs> <laughs> book three, Dragons of Tier Three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and I guess uh, maybe I guess probably an early estimated date for that one would probably be August of twenty twenty one. Just kind of got a stagger them like that. I, I, that's usually how trilogies go, but. Yeah, I think that's probably what we'll shoot for, that kind of thing. You know, it's far enough in the future that, you know, that, that could get shifted around for all kinds of reasons. But exactly. Um, exactly. It's, it, it's moving now. You know, the, um, I, I'm, I'm basically about where I was on that one. Um, you know, um, sorry, how do I wear this? Where I was in Sorcery of Queen a year ago is where I am with the third one. So I'm kind of on pace to, to keep, keep them rolling out this way. But, you know, you, you, know, you never know what will happen. Okay. Just going to make sure uh, you somehow roll into Crab Cake somewhere in book three. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll do it now just for you. It, there you it, go. This, it, it may wind up on the cutting floor, but I'll send it to you if it does. Uh, two people arguing over whether crab cakes are good or not. <laughs> <laughs> Please do it. They're 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 in uh, you know by a fishing village, and yeah, they're 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 talking about crab. It can be it can be it didn't have to be crab. It could be something else that's some kind of crustacean that they have yeah. pulled out of the water and made into a breaded cake. Um, yeah, no, no, there are crabs for sure. And, you know, I, I, it's funny. I have like, I have Scrivener open right here. I, I have like the scene I can put this in. I can just pop a note like right now. <laughs> It'll go either one, in one form or another. Fantastic. Um, well, everybody that's listening in, uh, we've talked about his books. We've talked about his life. But if you want to follow Brian on social media, you can find him on Twitter at Brian N-A-S-L. You can find him on Instagram at Brian underscore Nasland. You can find him on Facebook uh, at B Nasland. And you can find his website at BrianNasland.com. Uh, but otherwise, Brian, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, out of your busy day to come chat with me on my podcast. It's been a pleasure. Of course. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, we'll, uh, I'm still going to make those t shirts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't wait for them. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll just send you the proof, and you can approve it. How about that? <laughs> deal, deal. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, uh, let's do this again. Maybe uh, maybe prior to uh, release of book three. That way, we can uh, kind of wrap up the whole series in one go. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, uh, enjoy the rest of your night. Enjoy the rest of your week, and uh, we all look forward to Sorcery Rick Lean. Perfect. Great. Amen. Thanks again. Hope you guys enjoyed my chat with fantasy author Brian Naslin. Definitely check out his Dragons of Terra series. Uh, stay tuned next week when I chat with fantasy author Luke Arnold about his debut, The Last Mile in Sunder City. You may recognize his name from the television show Black Sails, where he played Long John Silver. Definitely looking forward to that chat. Also next week, I'll talk to thriller author John Mars about his upcoming release, What Lies Between Us. Uh, definitely looking forward to that one. That was a fantastic novel. If you guys are into thrillers, definitely, uh, recommend it for any fans of like CJ Tudor, uh, Alex Michaelides that wrote the silent patient, Alex North who wrote the whisper man. Um, any of those types of novels, that's definitely one to look out for, but guys, as always, thanks for tuning in and stay tuned for the next one.